0: Our reading this morning is taken from St. Mark, chapter 7, and on page 1010. 1,010. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and your mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable are you so dull he asked don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean for it doesn't go into his heart but into his stomach and then out of his body in saying this jesus declared all foods clean he went on what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean for from within Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Chapter 7, but first let's pray. And let's pray for that work of God's Holy Spirit amongst us to stir us in our minds, our hearts, our wills to read rightly. What's going on here with Jesus and the Pharisees so obviously in conflict, the disciples, not sure how to respond. And let's pray that the Spirit of God may, through Scripture, be our teacher this morning. And that what we hear, we may understand, and by your grace, Heavenly Father, put into practice for your greater glory, as well as for our good. Amen. I don't know, I, I look around this morning, I was expecting a great scarcity of women, but there is not a great scarcity, and well done dads who are managing without the help of your wives, because this weekend, of course, is the second of the ladies' weekends away. And um, I hear it now more in the context of small grandchildren than I do in the context of adult and grown-up sons and daughters, but do you know that feeling when you go into a room and there is someone age one, two, three or four watching television, and it's really highbrow stuff, something of the Bob the Builder sort. And the slogan, the jingo, the music stays in your mind whether you want it to or not for the rest of the day. And uh, recently it was, Bob the Builder, can he fix it? Bob the Builder, can he fix it? And then everyone, I won't ask you to do this this morning, yes, he can. And uh, that's great news if you need some repairs Done to your plumbing, not just on the TV screen but in the house, if the roof leaks, and a lot more than that. But there are areas of life when, blessed Bob the Builder, can't fix it. Can he, for example, more to the point, can we fix the problem of evil? Not only the problem out there around us in society, news about which we're bombarded constantly through the media. Can he fix, can we fix the problems of evil around us and more to the point within us? Can we fix it in any significant way that makes a vital difference? I think it's important to remember that even the most secular, hardened, non-believer, atheist, agnostic in the society in which we live cannot and wouldn't wish to deny the reality of evil. This is something we all face, whether we like it or not, to a lesser or greater degree. And it was no difference different in the day of Jesus when he walked here on earth. You'll notice that chapter 7 begins with yet again the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law coming up from Jerusalem. They've gone up to the north of the country around the Sea of Galilee, this huge lake where so much of Jesus' active teaching ministry went on. And they've come up consistently to check up on him and on the disciples uh, but they've already made up their minds, the direction they're going to go. Because you see, the Pharisees and the lawyers who come up from Jerusalem, the top brass if you like, believe that you get right with God if you do the right things. If you keep the rules. If you observe carefully all the religious traditions, then somehow it will be all right. You'll cope with the problem of evil around you and you'll deal well enough with the problem in your own life. And put simply, Jesus says, you won't. Now, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we've seen the conflict developing. If you want to turn back with me to chapter 3 of Mark's Gospel, and verse 2, here they are again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the lawyers. Um, Some of them, says Mark, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him carefully to see what he would do, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, good or evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And then he looked round at them in anger, and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, there was no place... For Jesus, in their scheme of things, he challenged the system. And that meant he had to be dealt with. And those of us who've been involved, not just listening on Sunday, but in house groups, will realize how dynamically Mark leads us through the gospel with episode after episode showing us more and more who Jesus is and why almost inevitably the clash was going to come. So we reach the beginning of chapter 7 and we see that Jesus, at this stage in his ministry, is not moving forward, as it were, silently, building up evidence of his identity for the sake of the disciples and others that they might believe But he's prepared to confront the religious leaders of his day. Verse 5 The Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Now, this isn't about washing your hands before lunch, it's a much, much bigger issue than that. It's about ceremonial cleansing and involved a lot more than basic uh, rules of hygiene. The real problem we see in verse 6. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So here's my first observation. I've only got two Here's my first observation about what we see happening here. And it's this. There is a great gulf fixed between religion and the gospel. There's a great gulf fixed between religion and the gospel. Now, I'd love to go into this in more detail. There isn't time this morning but speak to me after the service, if you will, or on some other occasion. But religion is often the greatest enemy we can imagine to the truth of the gospel. Do you remember how Mark's gospel begins? Chapter 1, verse 1. Straight into it is Mark. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in verse 15, the first indication Mark gives of the sort of message that Jesus proclaimed to the people, verses 14 and 15. After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And at this stage, we're not altogether clear what the good news is about. But as Mark unfolds the story, it's pretty clear that it's Jesus himself. And it's becoming more and more evident that there is a great gulf fix between religion and the gospel. You see, he is the good news. He is the gospel. And what we're seeing, what's gradually emerging before us, is the gulf that's growing between religion and Jesus himself at that time in the land where they lived. And Jesus gives Yet another example of this in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. Do you you see how uh, audacious, outrageous is what Jesus is doing? He's challenging preconceived, well-established understandings of religion. But sadly, tragically, the leaders of the very people of God who were to be the mediators of the purposes of God to the wider world have turned in on themselves and got it wrong. There's a great gulf fix between religion and Jesus. Now, the the so-called Corbin principle was a way of ring-fencing your income so that you didn't need to spend money on caring for your, pa- your parents. Yet, honouring your father and mother was number five in God's list of absolute musts if we're to be obedient to him. And what Jesus is is doing here, not just through this illustration, but in his general comments, is insisting that religion often gets its priorities wrong. It gets it wrong sometimes in understanding what family life is about. It gets it wrong in understanding how as Christians, as believers, we should spend our money. And there's a lot in Scripture about our responsibility, both as members of families and with the income that we earn. But the main, the fundamental point that Jesus is making here is simply that we cannot deal with by our own methods, in our own ways, with what the Bible calls sin. The problem of evil cannot be resolved simply by passing laws, and yet more laws, and yet more laws, and flagging up the need for right religious tradition. It doesn't work like that. You see, the reason it doesn't work like that is because the evil, the sin, isn't just out there in society around us. The stuff that's brought to our attention day by day as we watch news bulletins. It's not just out there. It's not just around us. It's here within us. Listen again to chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him. I'll pause just for a moment while a dad, as opposed to a mum, goes to the rescue. (laughs) Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. There's a helpful comment in this uh, new book that's come out by Andrew Sack and Tim Hyams, which some of us have discovered is great stuff for helping in the leading of house groups and they pick up uh, the Bob the Builder illustration. Most religions they write, and even secular non-religion, are based on the Bob the Builder principle. Sure, there's a problem, and it might take a few hundred of Hail Marys, or a trip to Mecca, or a few cycles of reincarnation upwards, but we can fix it. It might take a year working for an NGO in the third world. Or it might take a radical commitment to green energy and recycling programs. But we can fix it. And this links back, they remind us, with the first part of the passage, because the problem was that the Pharisees' ceremonial washing was about fixing things. It was what Corban was about. And far from yielding a solution, their man-made religion just made things worse. Throughout this chapter, Jesus sets about demolishing our Bob the Builder confidence. He says, we can't fix it. And how many people do you know, you may even have been one of them, who was set against the real thing, meeting with Jesus, a relationship with him, because you've perhaps passed, or they have, through religious experiences that simply don't help. They don't fix it. And yet our human nature is such that we persist in insisting on them. It's what comes out of a man, from within, that makes him unclean. And in this sense, we all suffer from what might be described as a fundamental heart problem. A problem that can only be fixed by God and never by us. So here's my second observation. If the first is to remind us that there is a great gulf fixed between religion and the gospel, between religion and Jesus, the second point is this, there is a great gospel that can deliver us from the evil within. And I might add, when we realise that, make a huge and significant difference to the way we deal with the evil out there in society and in the world around us. I have to say, I don't really warm to developing this passage as it stands. It's stern stuff. I'd much rather, at this point, find a few verses from Mark saying, actually, it's all okay. But he doesn't do that. You see, he's gradually building up his argument to the point that we actually understand that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus were inevitable because that's the way God has chosen to fix it. But at this stage, this chapter, at least this part of it, makes for solemn reading. I was sorely tempted to lead us into the magnificent comments of the great 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle. If you want some stirring reading, this is the stuff. It doesn't date... And uh, his footnotes are tremendous. But here's one comment he makes about this very passage. Making the word of God of none effect through your traditions. The first step of the Pharisees was to add their traditions to scripture as useful supplements. The second was to place them on a level with the word of God and give them equal authority. The last was to honor them above scripture and to degrade scripture from its lawful position. This was the state of things comments Ryle when our Lord found which our Lord found when he was upon earth. Practically the traditions of man were everything And the word of God was nothing at all. And he gives a number of examples from within within English church history of exactly the same problem in his day. And I'd be very tempted, but I won't, to do the same at this point in the sermon. You see... There is so much more that we can see happening behind the scenes in the episodes we're looking at. And Mark will tell us more as the chapters proceed and as the Gospel unfolds. But for now, he is encouraging us to do the simplest and most basic reality check. To hear Jesus. And as he speaks with compassion an insight, let him give on our lives and that of our society the right diagnosis. For ourselves, by ourselves, we can't fix it. The problem of evil and the sin that is deep we, within is beyond self-help religion. And that's the point that he reaches in chapter 7 and it takes us through to chapter 8 where, by the grace of God, the disciples begin to see it. And who can imagine what that must have meant in the heart and mind of Jesus himself, even if out there the religious leaders didn't understand this group, whom he was preparing to be the future leaders within the church. Yes, they did. So let me finish with these observations. As a church, be it St Mary's, be it another local congregation, the challenge above all else is to read our Bibles and take seriously the clear teaching of scripture. Dare I say it, we live in a generation of biblically illiterate people. They simply do not know what the Bible teaches. They fall back on the religious teaching of whichever part of the established church they've had some sort of contact with, be it C of E or non Denominational or whatever. They fall back on that and they've lost the ability to evaluate what is said and done through the words of Scripture. And what hope is there for others if we as Christian people don't read our Bibles and take seriously the clear teaching of Scripture as a church? So that must be our priority. And at the more personal level, the challenge is above all else also to read our Bibles. It's not just what you hear preached or taught in house groups week by week, it's it's the personal business of getting to grips with Bible reading, of taking seriously the clear teaching of Scripture of hearing by the Spirit, of hearing by the Spirit of God the word of Jesus and allowing the Father to apply it in our lives and living it out in our families and in society. Those are the challenges. May God give us grace to face them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing courage of Jesus that we see at this point. We thank you for his insight, his clear thinking, his ability to distinguish between the real and the counterfeit. And we do pray for grace, for your help day by day to do the same. Help us not just to agree with the views of those around us in society who are ignorant of your word. Help us so to understand the mind and the will and the purpose of Jesus as we go through Mark's gospel, that we have something to say that is helpful to people, that points them to the truth and guides us in the way we live day by day lord work in us we pray for your greater glory and not just for our good but for the good of many others around us for this we pray in jesus name amen